Was I mentioned earlier, I am uber excited about this morning, and uh, man, I really hope you are excited as well. Today, we start a new message series on the names of God, and we're going to be talking about how he has revealed himself in the Bible, so we've titled the series AKA, He is God, also known as, and then we'll unpack the different names throughout the week, all right? You guys feeling that? You guys feeling that? All right. If you're really feeling that, I want you to pull out your phone, all right? I want you to pull out your phone, and I want you to do something. I want you to text the word God, a.k.a., to the number 97000. Texting fees do apply, by the way. We ain't, and we ain't, we ain't covering that for you guys. But go ahead and text that out, and tell me when you got something. This is a race. First one does not get a prize, though. Text God, a.k.a. to 97000. What we are going to do is, throughout this series, about twice a week, we're going to send you a text message teaching you things like how to pray the name of God we just preached about. We're going to talk about testimonies, how that name of God is ministered to somebody. We're going to unpack ways that the name of God and the names of God minister to our lives. And so we'll send you messages about twice, maybe up to three times a week in this series to help us grow deeper throughout the week and get to know our God, also known as, and the name we look at. it. You guys get a response to your text yet? All right, that's good. I need you to share the mess out of that, all right? On Facebook, Instagram, we're going to be posting it later on today. We want you to invite others to join in on this, all right? And um, we're, we're going to grow deep together. We're going to come to know this awesome God that we'll be talking about in this series. I am super amped about it because in God's name, we learn something about his character. We learn something about how he has interacted with humanity. And so you may have heard different names of God, but what I want us to do is not just hear them, but to know them. Because when we know God's name, it will add fuel to your prayer life. It will ignite your worship, and ultimately, it will increase your joy. It will give you joy in the Lord based on his name and who he is. You ever heard of Jehovah Jireh? What does that mean? He's our provider because there are times in our lives that we face circumstances, and we feel like there's no way out. And we need to be reminded that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The Bible says he's also Jehovah Nisi, our banner, which means in battle, the army militaries would raise up their banner, raise up their flag. And when they had victory in their battle, they would raise up that banner high to declare their victory. And God is Jehovah Nisi, our banner in the midst of our spiritual battles. He's also the one who has charge over the angelic armies. And at his word, they come to intervene and interact. And he is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is also Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is a God who takes the bitterness of our lives, the bitter waters that we've drunk, and he heals those waters and heals our lives and heals our wounds. He is the righteous king, the Bible tells us. When all wickedness seems to run rampant, you ever seen that in our world? And you ever long for righteousness, long for justice? Well, he's Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Because on his throne he reigns with justice and righteousness, and one day his king is coming back. 
to establish righteousness on this earth. And when we feel alone and we feel like our lives don't matter and our cries are falling on deaf ears and darkness is clouding our lives, we must remember that he is El Roy, the God who sees. And he sees your hurts and your afflictions. And because he's also El Shaddai, he is God Almighty, the one who stands in the place of what we need. No, nothing can stop him. No, nothing can squash his plans. He is also the everlasting God, El Olam. He is the God who never needed a head start because he always was. He's the God that doesn't have a finish line because he always will be. And death, disease, pain, sin, and tears, and horror, and evil, and wickedness don't get the final word because they have an ending. And that's when Jesus returns. He's also the jealous God, though, El Kana, the God who wants your and my worship because first and foremost, he alone deserves it. He is the holy God, the one who is other than. But because he's also the jealous God, he knows what's best for us, and he knows that he's what's best for us. And with him, we have joy, and without him, we have misery. And so he is jealous of our worship. And when we turn to all kinds of idols, he is a jealous God saying, come back to me. But perhaps the most foundational of his names is Yahweh. 6,828 times the name of Yahweh is written in the scriptures. 6,828 times. And when you see the name of Yahweh in the Bible, it is the word LORD, but it's in all capital letters. Not to be confused with Adonai, which is LORD, in lowercase letters. The name of LORD, Yahweh, is the covenant name of God. It is how he has chosen to reveal himself. It is this name of God that the Bible says, and those who know your name put their trust in you, O Lord Yahweh. It is this name of God that says that the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. It is this name that says in Joel 2.32 that those who call upon the name Yahweh of the Lord will be saved. And it's this name that Moses writes in Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of Yahweh the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The name of Yahweh is perhaps the most profound and and glorious of the names of God. It is the central foundation of who he is. And man, I am excited beyond measure to talk to you about Yahweh, the ever-present one, the I am, the one who intervenes in your and my scenarios. You want to know about this, Yahweh? Would you join me in the book of Exodus, chapter 3? Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And we can find ourselves in chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you some context, and then I'm going to have you stand with me so we can read the passage. But don't stand just yet. As you turn there, we learn that in the end of the book of Genesis, the previous book, Joseph, one of the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob, is in Egypt, and he brings his 11 brothers and his dad into Egypt. Egypt because there was an enormous famine in the land. And there in Egypt, God chose to cause his people, the sons of Jacob, whose name was changed into Israel, the sons of Israel, to prosper in Egypt. And Joseph told them 
at the right time, God will bring you out of this place. God, God told Jacob this message, that he will bring him out of Egypt at the right time. But little did they know, it'd be some 500 years later. And while in Egypt, though, God had a plan and a purpose for his people. You see, what is so amazing is that God promised to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, to raise up a great nation out of them. But the problem was that if they remained in the promised land, it was too dangerous there. There were other warring tribes who would have disintegrated them. So God brought them into Egypt, and they actually became slaves in Egypt. A horrible existence. However, it was in Egypt that they were protected by the greatest army in the world, the Egyptian army. And while in Egypt, in their slavery, God still had a plan to cause his people to grow and flourish. And on the backs of the people of Israel, the nation of Egypt was built. But the more they added tasks upon them, the more God causes people to prosper. And it just kept growing and growing. And the Egyptians start panicking, thinking that if these ever turned on us, they could, they could team up with our enemies and destroy us. So they began to afflict them and say, kill all the boys that are born so that they don't keep reproducing. And they began to slaughter and kill the sons of Israel upon their births. But there was one son that God had a plan for. And he was born and his mom hid him in a basket when it was time for him, when she couldn't hide him any longer. She put him on the Nile River and sent him away, praying for God's protection over this baby. And the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, sees this basket, opens it up, finds a baby, and her heart goes out to this child. She raises this child in her own household. And this child's name is Moses. Trained in all the wisdom and knowledge and power of the Egyptians. But he was a Jew. And while in Egypt, Moses is there and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster abusing one of the Israelites. And so Moses comes to the aid of this Israelite and kills the Egyptian man and buries his body in the sand. Well, the word came out that Moses killed an Egyptian. He knows his life's in danger, and he runs into the wilderness far, far away, some 200 miles away from where he was at in Egypt. And there in the wilderness, he meets a woman, marries Zephora, has a family with her, and God has given him a new beginning. And Moses thinks, I've run away, I've come away from all my, my trials. And perhaps he thought in his mind, I'm never going back there again but God, right? But God had a plan for Moses because God had a plan for his people. Because he told Jacob and he told Joseph and he told the rest, I'll pull you out of Egypt at the right time. You're not going to be there forever. 500 years feels like forever, but in God's plan, is just a blimp on the radar. And God has a plan to bring him out. And it's there in this plan that we find Exodus chapter 3, our passage for this morning. Will you rise to your feet with me, family, as we read, as I read Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. While Moses is out in the wilderness, this is what happens. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Can you say, do not come near? Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Can you say that with me? I know their sufferings. That is a good word for us today. I know their sufferings, God says, and I have come down to deliver them. Yes, he has. Out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, hand, out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said that with me. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Well, we're here this morning to remember his name. Because even in this generation, we don't want it to fall on deaf ears. God reveals his name to Moses. I love this. I was thinking about this. Eternal God, eternity past, having no need of us before he created us, right? It's not like God in eternity past said, you know what? We're lonely. Let's make some people here. No, because he is Father, Son, and Spirit. He had perfect community. He wasn't lonely. It's not like God is like, you know what? I'm getting bored here. No, because he is the epitome of joy. He's the epitome of life. It's not like God says, let's do something. Let's create the galaxy. Let's make a Milky Way and put it as a tiny speck on, the, on, on all the galaxies. And within the Milky Way, make all these planets. And among these planets, let's make an earth. And among this earth, let's make some people because we need that. No. God didn't need it. 
God didn't need that, and God doesn't need a name because he knows who he is. But the very fact that God would reveal himself to us and give himself a name tells us something about this God. And that he invites you and me to know him. Remarkable. But before we come to know him, there's some things we need to learn about him. Something Moses had to learn right away. It says that he came in verse 1 to a place called Horeb, the mountain of God. The name Horeb is also, uh, this mountain is also known as Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain Moses would later get the Ten Commandments from. And he's there in Horeb, some 200 miles from where the Jews were at in Egypt. And there it says in verse 2 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord is a mysterious character in Scripture. Because we hear this title, Angel of Yahweh, the Lord. It's in all capital letters, which means the Angel of Yahweh. But then what we see is this very angel takes on the identity of the Lord God so often. Because notice, it says the angel appeared to him out of, a, out of the bush in a flame of fire. And then later it says in verse 4, the Lord saw, and turn, saw him turn aside to him, and God called to him out of the bush. So is it the angel of the Lord in the bush, or is it God in the bush? And I believe the answer is yes to both of those. See, my belief is, as we see in scriptures, that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is actually God himself. And it's interesting how the angel of the Lord never appears in the New Testament. And I believe, and many beliefs of many uh, other interpreters of scripture, is that the angel of the Lord is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God in the Old Testament, manifesting himself. And he doesn't show up in the New Testament because Jesus is there. He has incarnated himself. So here, God Almighty, the triune God, is here in this burning bush. And Moses is looking at this thing. is like, that's interesting. It's burning but not being consumed. Let me check this thing out. And as he gets closer, God speaks to Moses and says, Hold up, Moses. In verse 5, Do not come near because you're standing on holy ground. Now, this is interesting to me, because what made that ground holy was none other than the fact that God is there. Some of you guys have no shoe zones in your homes, and you know those houses when you walk in, there's a pile of shoes in their front door. But God is telling Moses that this earth is a no-shoe zone, if you know what I mean, because I consume it all. I am ever-present. I am everywhere. And when you come in face to face with me, you've got to take your shoes off because they're unclean and I am pure, holy, and other than you. So God looks at Moses and he says, and, you know, we know he's about to reveal himself to him. Moses doesn't know this, but what God is doing is he's preparing Moses' heart to understand what he's about to say. And the first thing you and I and Moses needs to know is that God's presence must be revered. It must be honored God says, I am holy. Take off your, your shoes because the place you are standing is holy ground. In God's presence, we find sheer perfection. Purity of purity in God's being. He's untainted by evil. He's unblemished by sin. You with me, family? He's undarkened by lies. He is undeniably holy. This is God. And Moses is standing in front of him. Amazing. And we can't blame Moses when we read in verse 6. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. 
Moses is there before this pure, awesome God. What was so amazing to me is that as other than us God is, as holy and perfect he is, what's he doing there in Horeb? What's he doing there in Mount Sinai? It's not that God was chilling out and all of a sudden Moses showed up and God's like, oh, I was found. This is not like a where's Waldo or hide and seek here. Moses didn't stumble upon God like the, the, the miners did in the gold rush in 1849. He just happened to find him there. God was there to be found. God was there for Moses to have an interaction with him. So as holy and other than God is, he has brought himself down to Moses' level like an adult with a child, looking him in the eye. So I'm going to talk to you here. But take off your sandals first. You're on holy ground. Moses is afraid. But then God says, hey, I got a word for you. God tells him in verse 7, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people in Egypt. I love the, the verbs here. I said, I've seen them. I heard their cries. I know them. And I'm coming down to deliver them. But it's so fascinating how we see in verse 11, this Moses that we've come to love and adore because we see the finished product, we forget oftentimes the process. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses, hint here. You're talking to the one who created Pharaoh. And you think you're not worthy to be in Pharaoh's presence? See, Moses just doesn't understand what's going on. And God's about to say, Moses, it's not, it's not about who you are. It's about who's with you. And I am the one who is with you. God tells him, I will be with you. Moses, remember, you didn't find me. I allowed you to find me. Moses, you didn't just happen to be placed in a basket in a river when all the boys were being murdered. Moses, you didn't just happen to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter in that river. You, you didn't just happen to be raised in Egypt. You didn't just happen to show up in Horeb. God had a plan for him. And God's about to reveal his name to speak into this plan. And you and I, family, oftentimes find ourselves in Moses' place. God's like, don't let your insecurities, your indiscretions, your inabilities, your immaturities hold you back from hearing what God has to tell you. That's what God told Moses, and that's what he's telling you today. Moses, I've got a plan for you. So God has laid out foundation. You're on holy ground. I'm a holy God, but actually I'm a God who also intervenes and interacts and moves among my creation. I'm not that watchmaker who turned that watch, that clock on, and let it go and never comes back. I'm the God who created it all, and I'm intimately involved in it. And so here Moses is, and he's looking, man. He's, he's, he's insecure, and then Moses says in verse 13 to God, he says, If I come to the people of Israel, though, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm insecure. I can't stand before Pharaoh. I don't even know what I'm going to tell my own people when I show up. And I tell them, God sent me. And what, what, what do I tell them when they say, What is his name? Now, what I love here is it's not that God's people didn't know God's name. 
Because we read throughout the book of Genesis, God has revealed himself as Elohim, God, as Adonai, Lord, lowercase, as Yahweh, Lord, uppercase. God's like, this is who I am. His people knew his name, but this word what is not so much what's the substance of his name, but what's the significance of his name. What Moses is saying is, God, when you send me to your people and they asked me, so what if Yahweh sent me, sent you? What do I tell them? When they say, so what's the, what's the big deal about this God who sent me? We've been in Egypt 500 years crying out to him. What makes now any difference? And now God is about to do some self-revelation like he's never done previously in the scriptures. God tells him in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you tell them. And they says, tell them, I am sent me to you. This, this word, this, this name, I am who I am, is remarkable because actually in the, in the Hebrew, it's future tense. So some say we should translate it, I will be what I will be. But it's, he's speaking in the present, and it seems to be a future tense word with a present reality. So that's why we translate it, I am who I am, because no matter when you say that word, he is who he is. He, he doesn't just have a future, but he's also present. And, and God tells Moses, I am who I am is what you need to know. I am the present one. I am the self-existent one. I am the one who has always been. And the truth of the matter is God has laid out some breadcrumbs already for Moses. We just scanned over it earlier, but I'm about to come back to you because when Moses saw the burning bush, he was intrigued because why? He saw the bush burning, but it was not consumed. Now, if you know anything about fires, fires need three things to stay alive. They need oxygen, they need heat, and they need some fuel. And if you take out one of those things, all my firemen out there know this, you can kill a fire, which is why a fire blanket on top of a fire snuffs out the oxygen and kills out the fire. Water helps on most fires, not all, because it takes out the heat. And when you have a fire pit, the fire dies down because the fuel, the wood, burns out. But what do we make of a fire that has no fuel? fuel? Well, what do we make of a fire that is on a bush but not consuming the bush? What we make is that this is a fire that is self-sufficient. This is not a story about a bush. You're not supposed to be asking, I wonder what kind of bush that was. You're supposed to be asking, I wonder what kind of fire that is. And so when Moses saw the fire, he saw something that needed nothing else to exist. He saw something that needed nothing else for its livelihood. He saw something that didn't need anything to start it and saw something that couldn't be snuffed out. He saw the I am who I am, the self-existent one, the always present one, the sustainer of all because he's the sustainer of himself. He is the one who is constant. As one person said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the Bible says, but then he says, he cannot be improved. He's not becoming anything. Why? Because he is who he is. 
Praise the Lord. So when the people of ask you, the people of Israel say to you, "So what, Moses?" You tell them there is a God who has always been, always is, and always will be. He is the same God yesterday who made the promise to you, Israel. He is the same God who called Abraham out of nothing to make him a something. He's the same God who used messed up Isaac and messed up Jacob and his messed up 12 sons to make 12 tribes to make a great people through whom the Messiah would come and save humanity. He's the same God. He is I am who I am. So when they ask you, what's the significance of him sending you? You tell them he's the same God. He's the I am, the ever-present one who knows it all. But in some ways, that's still not his name. He says, tell them I am who I am, but he doesn't say that's my name. He says, tell them I am sent me to you. But then in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. Yahweh. The name Yahweh is actually a shortened form of the verb I am. So that God has hardwired. So when we speak his name, and if you knew Hebrew, you'd see this. I don't speak Hebrew. But those, the Israelites who spoke Hebrew, when they say, I am, they're hearing the name of Yahweh echoing in the background. And when they hear, speak the word Yahweh, they're hearing the I am, his ever-presentness speaking in the background. But what's interesting is the name Yahweh over time became unknown on how to pronounce it. Because actually in this in, in writing, it's just four letters. The Hebrew language doesn't have vowels. It has vowel pointings that were added later to help us pronounce words. So Yahweh is just Y-H-W-H, four letters known as the Tetragrammaton, the four-lettered name of God. And the scribes and the people of Israel didn't want to speak his name because it was so holy. They understood what Moses understood, that he's other than. And to even speak his name, they didn't want to do it lest they speak it in vain. So what they began to do is they would read his name in the scriptures. They would replace it with the, the name Adonai, even though it said Yahweh. And actually, even when I was in seminary taking Hebrew classes, our instructor would tell us, when you come across this word, don't say Yahweh, read Adonai. And so that's actually how we got the pronunciation Yahweh, because they took the vowels of Adonai and put them onto Yahweh, and that's how we got that. And then you add a German linguist to it, how we get the name Jehovah. It's the same name as Yahweh. If you know, you've heard of a German speaker, they say, what is your name? Because they don't have a W sound, they have a V. So instead of Yahweh, it's Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah. And that's why we call him Jehovah Jireh. That's Yahweh Jireh. Jehovah Nisi, Sabaoth, Jehovah Rapha. This is the name. His name is actually attached to different words, different names. We love the word hallelujah, don't we? But you ever notice it's hallelujah way. Hallelu means praise. It's a call for you to praise. You praise Jah, the Lord. So when we say praise the Lord, we are saying Yahweh, praise Yahweh. And so here, Moses, hears the name Yahweh. And God says, 
I am the Lord. I am the self-existent one. I am who I am. And so it's with that name that God arms Moses with as he goes into Egypt. I was thinking about this message. and I was struck how in verse 8, God says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Surely he's there in the burning bush. He came down to manifest his presence in the bush. And he would use Moses as his instrument through which he would deliver his people from their bondage. He would do many miracles, the different plagues in Egypt, but, but Moses would be his instrument to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. And he does it. But the great I am didn't just come down once. You with me, family? The great I am came down again some thousands of years later. The great I am came down to deliver his people, and he wasn't going to use someone else to do it this time. He himself says, I'm coming down to do it myself. And I'm not just going to deliver them from slavery to another people's, but from their slavery to sin. My, my creation was in bondage. The I am is coming down to this earth to be clothed in humanity, to walk a perfect life, to go to a cross. This is why Jesus, the great I am, says, before Abraham was what? I am. That's why Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the I am revealed himself in the book of Exodus. And he continues to reveal himself throughout the story of the scriptures. And he is a God who delivers people. But his greatest delivery act came when I am became a man. And went to that cross for your sin and my sin. And he says, when you put your faith in Jesus, the great I am, God in human flesh, you're forgiven. And when you say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for all the ways I've rebelled against you. The Bible tells us at that point, God delivers you from your enslavement to sin. No, you don't become perfect. No, you don't arrive. But in God's sight, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And you are promised eternal life with God. Because the I am came down. He squatted down like an adult, looked us in the eye, came to our level when he absolutely didn't have to. I just love how this story shows us our merciful God. Moses didn't find him. You didn't find him. God is a relentless pursuer of rebellious people. So what do we do in light of this glorious picture of Yahweh. I'm going to give you five responses, family, and I encourage you to write these down. The first response is to honor Yahweh. Honor your Lord. Moses learned that in his presence he is in holy ground. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. I mean, just think about it. What we have just unpacked, and man, how insufficient this unpacking is about the name of God. 
who are we to take it in vain? To use his name as a way of swearing by something. To use his name leashed with profanities. To use his name to make a promise we don't intend to keep. To use his name when we don't love him. And so let's honor his name and recognize he invites you into his presence. He does. But when we come, we come in awe of a God who is holy. Secondly, I need you and I to trust in Yahweh, trust in the Lord. Psalm 910, as I read earlier, says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Tomorrow I'm going to be beginning something I've never done before, and it's teaching at the Moody Bible Institute, teaching a college course. Pretty excited about it. Yeah. I'm teaching a theology class. And one thing that as I've prepared for this class has struck me time and again is I want nothing to do with teaching students knowledge about God without a fiery passion for him. One of my greatest fears is that they would walk away knowing more but not knowing God. And so when the psalmist says, those who know your name put their trust in you, he's not, he's not talking about those who can utter the name Yahweh or say the word Lord or even utter a prayer or repeat something. He's saying, those who know you, God, those who know you, God, they, they trust in you. And man, I want you and I to know God like that, family. God, I know you. I've seen you at work. I see what your word says. God, I want to know you better. But because I know you, God, I know that I can trust in you. I, I want to know you like that, Lord. When you go on vacation, you leave a key to the house. You don't give it to anybody you just know. You get someone to you re- that you really know. Someone that you know personally because you trust them. And those who know the Lord personally will find quickly that you can trust him. So secondly, trust in the Lord. Thirdly, run to the Lord. It's one thing that we know he's trustworthy. It's another thing to actually trust him. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of Yahweh is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. God's name is a strong tower. When Moses goes into Egypt and he tells the people, Yahweh sent me, they will quickly find that he is a strong tower. They will quickly find that the gods of Egypt have nothing on their God. There is no rival in Egypt. They're going to quickly find that God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm will take a slave people and humble the most powerful nation in the world to get them out. They find that he's a strong tower. So family, don't do it on your own. Don't try to just figure it out. Run to Yahweh, your Lord. Well, how do you do that? Well, fourthly, you do that by calling upon him. Joel 2.32 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh the Lord will be saved. And we call upon him to find forgiveness, and then we make a habit of it, (laughs) continually calling 
upon God. God, I need you today like I needed you yesterday. God, I need you for this interview I've got. God, I need you in the workplace to hold on to my integrity. God, I need you for wisdom in this situation. God, I need you to worship you. God, I need you to long for you. God, I need you in everything I got. So you keep calling upon him and calling upon him and calling upon him. And that's what it looks like when you run to the Lord. And then fifthly, you worship Yahweh, the Lord. Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 10 say, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name, God says. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And then it says, sing to Yahweh a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. See, God's revelation of his name is also an invitation to worship him. This is who I am, God says. This is my glory. I don't share it with nobody. And so give it to nobody. Give it all to me. And some might say, well, that sounds really selfish of God. And, and, and that's the argument. But when you think about it, if in God's presence there is fullness of joy, is it selfish of him to say, come and have some of me? Is it cruel of God who says, in me there is all life? and forgiveness, and eternal joy. Is it selfish of him to say, come and worship me only then? No, what it is, is loving of him to say, I don't share my glory with anyone else. Because that carved image, that bank account, that boy or girlfriend, that relationship, those are idols in your life and if I gave them glory, I promise you they'll let you down because they can't deliver on these promises. So God says, give it to me. Give me the glory and worship me. At the end of verse 15, God says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Family, let us never forget his name. The name of the Lord, Yahweh, the I am who I am, the self-existent one, the one who is constant, the eternal God, the creator God. Let his name be remembered for all generations. That's why his name shows up some 6,828 times. God forbid we forget him family. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. And he continues to reveal his character and his qualities to us. And so I'm excited to journey on in the rest of this message series. But you must know that just as the people of Israel's oppression and circumstances didn't fall on God's deaf ears because he is the I am, the same is true in your life. And we're going to learn how to really trust in our God and understand that he is intimately involved with all that we do and calls you to trust in him. I hope you would join me in that as we venture forward. Let's pray for him. Lord, your name is a precious name. God, we just... We just don't even get it still. 
I, I feel like everything I've said for the last 40 minutes has been so inadequate, God. I'm almost embarrassed by how little I could say about how glorious you are. But Lord, we strive to do it because you call us to. And we just want to know you better. And we want to hear your name. May it make it mean something in our soul. We, we want to reflect upon the fact that this I am became a man and Jesus came and died for us and rose from the dead for us. God, we, we just don't ever want this beautiful picture of you to be dull in our minds, Lord. So, Lord, ignite our hearts. And may we just be in awe of you always. Father, I lift up my brother or sister in this room who needs to be reminded that you are the I am who I am. They need to be reminded, God, that they, they aren't absent on your radar. But, Lord, that you, you know them, you hear their cries, you, you've seen their struggle, and you've come down to deliver them. God, I need you to remind them today that you are all that they need. Lord, teach us to run to you again and again and again and again, letting nothing get in our way. So, Father, we rejoice, God. We rejoice in who you are. And we pray, Lord, that as we go out this week, that we just, that we wouldn't let these thoughts easily escape our minds. That we say, Lord, Yahweh, Almighty God, increase my faith and help me know you better. I pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.